Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right, we are live. What's up? For another episode, and on today's episode, I interview a former collegiate wrestler from Iowa Central Community College, Turk plant medicine worker and founder of Spirit Visions Market, um, where you can find at spiritvisions.us, where it's his goal to share and spread the beauty and traditions of the Amazon and other indigenous cultures. Welcome to the Winner Circle, Nate Willard. What's up, Derek? Good to see you, man. Nice to see you. It's been a long Mm -hmm. while, and um, I'm so grateful that we're reconnecting here uh, for this Mm -hmm. conversation and sharing it with the world. Um, You have such beauty in your heart. Oh, thank you, bro. That and your journey on how you found that place, how you stepped back in, how you remembered. Um, so the goal of these conversation is really to uplift, inspire, and empower all tuning in to move forward with greater trust and faith and belief in themselves on the hero's journey ahead, the hero's journey underway now. Um, and the first question sets us up on a good vibe, and that is, what do you love about your world right now? Not what do you love about the, the external, the, the outside? What do you love about your personal world? My, por- my personal world, what I love is I feel like I'm really starting to connect with myself on a new level, like with my soul, like really starting to hear myself on a new level and starting to step into that because it's definitely been it's been a journey you know for sure so that's where i'm at right now Mm -hmm. it it has been quite the journey i'm excited to explore that and to hear what you've been up to the last five years since we last connected um but before we do another question i ask every guest is their mission um what is your mission in all that you do whether that be as a friend as a founder a visions market as a citizen of this world what is your mission that guides you in all that you do my mission i really just feel like is to just be like a good decent human i feel like nothing else matters if we don't greet each other with love and with respect and you know there's a lot of people that can talk a big game and uh you know whether it's in no matter what thing it is really no matter what area of life there's people that will talk it but then won't you know do it and it's like I feel like literally nothing else matters just to be decent to people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what is getting in the way of people walking that walk (laughs) that's a good question I feel like there's so much stuff um but definitely through my healing journey I have found that it's people's trauma, you know, everything is people's trauma that gets in the way because like in the end, all the messed up stuff people do is because they're, they have some dysfunctional method that they're trying to use to find what they really need, which is really in the end, like love and connection. Mm -hmm. So 
your trauma <clears throat> did you bring it to surface and how have you healed it how is it healing you know that's quite a that's quite a question there <laughs> it's been a, a long journey um so when we connected in the go for you win course almost like roundabouts five years ago that was like pretty early in my healing journey you know um i had just moved to texas i had just found plant medicines and started working with these things these modalities and they can be super powerful and super strong and can shed a lot of insight onto your being onto your issues and so that was like the beginning of the path but you know it really took a lot of diving really deep and just being willing to 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 do really hard shit and do like you know it's interesting because it's like for a long time i was willing to do ceremonies i was willing to sit in the ceremony i was willing to subject myself to being shown whatever i needed to see but there was other aspects of like inner work that I maybe had struggles with or resistance towards. So I was willing to do that. And then as I did that more and more, and as I worked more on my on myself, eventually I got the message like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like I had a ceremony where I was I'm a very like naturally skeptical person, you know, I like have a logical mind and I had a ceremony where the shaman, the person who was one of my mentors, her name was Maria. Um, she just like guided me through a very special prayer. And I said this prayer and I said it with all of my heart. And then over the next few hours, everything that I prayed about started happening in the ceremony. And it was just like one thing after another, like, that's what I asked for. That's what I got. That's what I wanted. That's what I got. And it just blew me away. And at some point in the ceremony, I was actually in the bathroom, which was hilarious. Uh, a lot of profound stuff can happen there. <laughs> but uh, I was in the bathroom and I just had this moment of realization that everything I had prayed about earlier had happened. And then I just got this like rush of energy that went over me and I was like, holy fucking shit, all of this is real. Because I like had been going through this from a very like, okay, it can help your brain, neuroplasticity, form new connections, you know, maybe shows you what trauma you need to work on that had been my perspective, but I was really skeptical about the spiritual stuff. And in this moment, I was just like, all of this is real, like, this is so crazy. And I just had this crazy rush of energy and I like was shaking my hands like this, holy fucking shit, holy fucking shit. I was like tripping out and I went back to the circle. I went to Juana Maria, I was like, guys, holy shit, all of this is real. And they just laughed and they're like, of course it's real. What do you think we're doing here? <laughs> And then in that moment, I had a, like another rush of energy and it was just a knowing that came over me like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like, this is what I need to do. I need to work with this and learn how to work with this and learn how to help people with this. And so <clears throat> I went into work the next day. I was working as a gunsmith at the time. And that's what I moved to Texas for was to have this job as a gunsmith, which I had gone to school for for two years. So the next day after that ceremony, I went into work and I quit my job on the spot and was like, no two weeks, just quitting. Like I'm over it. It's unhealthy. It doesn't serve me. Um, and at that moment, I started just selling stuff, selling a lot of my belongings and trying to save up as much money as possible to be able to go to the jungle. 
Um, and I didn't know who I was going to go see or where I was going to go or anything. I just was like, this is what I have to do and I'm going. And so I just like sold a bunch, put what I needed to keep in a storage unit and went to the jungle. Um, so that ceremony was in the beginning of December. And then come the beginning of February, I was in Colombia. And uh, my friend Maria ended up connecting me with one of her teachers. And we went there. And she said, if he won't receive you, then we'll go see someone else. And we spent about a week there and we had some ceremonies. And at the end of a week, we all talked together. He said, yeah, I think I can help you. You can stay. And so the plan was to stay for three months. And living in the jungle, we were working all day, every day, like working eight and 10 hour days, physical labor, you know, like working with plants, working with our machete, chopping and clearing. Um, collecting certain plants, learning about a lot of different things. Um, and also throughout the process, we were drinking ayahuasca on average three to four, three to five times a week, I would say. Sometimes it was twice a day. Um, you know, sometimes we would drink ayahuasca and then go out and work. Um, sometimes we would drink ayahuasca in, in a ceremony while we would cook ayahuasca. And we would cook like hundreds of gallons at a time because Taita Bernardo is a master, like from a super long lineage of shamans. And one of his main jobs is he prepares the medicine for other Taitas and other shamans who are not able to, because maybe they don't live directly in the jungle. They can't collect the plants themselves, or maybe they're like a traveling shaman in America that's trying to spread healing that way. Mm -hmm. And so all these different ways of working with it and just really drinking a lot of medicine. And the first three months was like beautiful it was so much light and illumination and learning about myself and felt like a lot of inner growth and so I was having such a good experience I was like man I feel like I want to stay longer and so one night in a ceremony maybe like two weeks before I was supposed to leave I sat and I prayed and you know I'm on ayahuasca and I'm praying with tobacco and I have my eyes closed and I'm probably just praying for like an hour and I just kept saying like throughout the prayer so many times, like, yes or no, should I stay in Colombia? Yes or no, two more months. And I kept saying yes or no, two more months. And that was like the specific words that I kept repeating. And then as I finished my tobacco, which is like a tool for prayer and for manifestation, I exhaled the last bit of the smoke. And I kind of like said, all right, thank you. I know that you will give me a sign that I cannot deny because I know that I like, if it's not super, super clear, I might like, think about it and be like, well, maybe logical, maybe not. So I stand up and I stretched uh, and I opened my eyes. Or well, the first thing was I stood up and I stretched and right away a big colorful yes flashed in my mind's eye, like, yes, stay. And then I was like, again, the logical mind thing. Yeah, maybe we'll see. That could just be because I want to stay. And then the thing that really got me was I opened my eyes and right in the center of my field of vision where I was looking when I opened my eyes, the entire sky was covered in clouds. There was not a single star visible, except for right in the center of my field of vision, there was a little opening with two stars. And it was the only two stars that were visible in the entire sky. I turned around, I looked all over, it was like, so yes, two. And I kept saying yes or no, two more months. And so I was like, all right, I got my sign. And I didn't have any money. And I didn't know how I was gonna make it work, but I just was like, I'll figure out a way to get the money to buy a new plane ticket as soon as I can. And so that's when I stayed. 
And then like right after that three month mark passed, right after that date when I was supposed to leave fast, then things got really hard. And like all the darkness started coming up and it's like so much confusion and so many challenges and like, man, like the hardship, like the stuff I really needed to probably be there for started coming up after my plane like had already left. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, um, yeah, so I stayed for two more months and really just continued doing similar regimen of like a lot of medicine, a lot of work. And then uh, I left Colombia in a pretty rough place, you know, after that five month period. <clears throat> and, you know, it took a long time, honestly, like obviously ups and downs, um, came back to the States and started working with the people who I had uh, worked with previously, Juan and Maria, and helped organize ceremonies for them and probably organized maybe over three years, maybe like a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies and was like helping to facilitate, um, not leading them, but just helping to hold the space there as well as organizing and putting these together. And eventually, um, you know, there was some, some differences uh, and some, some disagreements between ourselves. So we had to part ways and all of that ended up being pretty rough. And that led to the last year which was like I would say probably the hardest year of my life like just a lot of stuff falling away a lot of people falling away um a lot of people trying to harm me and like you know take what was mine or or ruin my reputation or things and and the reputation thing was a big one but it took me eight months to get to the point where I was like I see how it was all necessary like anybody who left me through drama like were not my people anyway and they really needed to be gone anyway you know they're just negative attachments or people who you know the snakes in the grass people who turn and bite as soon as they get a chance it's like you don't want those people so it was not easy but in some ways still still getting more clarity on it how this whole process has been necessary for sure mm -hmm. wow so much to talk about for that, but thank you so much for that sharing, Nate. Um, you it started really when um, you talked about how you we met at Go for Your Win. Um, that was Aubrey Marcus's first group. Um, mm -hmm. we talked about why you went, why you registered for that course. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about going for your win then, and what does going for your win mean to you now? Yeah. Um, I registered for that course just because I really liked Aubrey Marcus and I came across it and it just was one of those things where the timing felt right it just felt good. Um, you know, I'd been getting into the psychedelics and Aubrey Marcus is uh, a proponent of that and really enjoyed his perspectives and stuff. So that was like, okay, it feels in alignment there. And then, um, yeah, what did I learn about going for your win, man? There was just so many tools that he taught, so many uh, good little little things that could help guide you. Like one that one that comes into my mind right now is um, the surrogate. You know, like not letting the surrogate mission take you, and the surrogate mission being like the thing that you think you should do, or the thing that may be kind of like steps in front of your real goal, and like 
sometimes seems like, yeah, I really should take care of that, or I really should work on that, but maybe it's not actually in alignment with your bigger mission or your bigger goal right now. And sometimes it's just taking energy away from what you're really trying to do or really working towards. Mm -hmm. And now what does going through win mean to you from this last five years of applying these tools and mm -hmm. um, learning and all the growth that you've, you've done? What does going through win uh, mean to you now? And what does that look like for you in your life today? I would say by far going through your win to me means being authentic and doing what is right for you. Being authentic can look a lot of different ways. And I think like everything in the spiritual journey has a lot of different levels to it. And it's like an, an ever unfolding that's never going to stop. So like, you're never there. You're never just like, oh, I'm authentic now. Like it's always a process. <laughs> and uh, so, but that to me is just the thing because a part of my journey has been getting a little bit lost along the way. And like, I really got away from a lot of things that I loved and things that I just always used to do. And like, in some ways I started judging those things. In some ways it was like the dogma and the group think of community because these tools are incredibly powerful and they're incredibly real and they're incredibly effective, but also like the power of dogma and the power of groupthink and group mentality and ideology is also incredibly powerful and really toxic. And so all of that stuff definitely like took its toll for a while and played, played its part on, on my life. And so like, for instance, you know, I was always lifting weights. I was started lifting weights when I was like 12. I was like benched 300 pounds my freshman year or my sophomore year of high school. Excuse me. And, um, you know, at some point, like once I started getting into the more spiritual stuff, I really got away from that, like my wrestling as well. You know, I was an All-American wrestler. I was roommates with John Jones and Colby Covington, my freshman year of college. Um, and, and it, like just wrestling at a pretty high level and competing with a lot of really high level guys. And like, I loved that, man. It was always something I did. And it was like, you know, it was like the basis of who I was for a long time. And then just getting rid of all that stuff because like, because of there's, there's a lot of ideas in a, a lot of the spiritual communities that like stuff you may have seen, like if you work out a lot or you focus on your body, like you're self-centered or like the physical is not as important. What you need to be working on is your spirit or whatever these ideas are that like, you know, uh, were not true, but that I let them affect me to some degree. And so just getting back to a lot of those things more recently, and it feels really good, like been hitting the gym for like two hours a day, hitting the weights like six days a week, two hours a day, and just feels so good. And my like muscle memory and my body is just reactivating. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's the spiritualist shit you can do is to just do whatever you like and what makes you feel good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. So let's talk about that more about the physical and the spiritual. Like in my view, as a longtime athlete myself and someone who's been a physically active person um, since a child, from everything that I've learned, 
physical activity is the number one thing that we could do for our brain and for our mental health. So I, I believe like our physical health, what we eat, how we sleep, what we consume, how we move our bodies, this is all foundational to our well-being. And sure. um, ne- neglecting that, I feel, is, I don't know, not, not, not the wisest. Yeah, it's not. It's really not. And although I like never fully neglected it, it's like it's amazing what our bodies and our our vehicles are capable of. But like just doing something is one thing, but like really pushing yourself is a whole nother level. And the amount of benefit you get from like really pushing the envelope with your physical being is it's pretty profound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's get back into the medicines for those, um, and maybe we should have talked about this earlier, but um, for those that are not familiar with ayahuasca, um, and that was the primary medicine you've took, you were taking in Colombia, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, let's just talk about what, how that plant is made. You said you were um, working things and making it. So how is that plant made? And um yeah, just some some brief history about ayahuasca for the uninitiated. For sure. So ayahuasca is <clears throat> traditionally a combination of two plants. Um, in Colombia, it's actually typically referred to as yaje, which is uh, made with a different leaf. So ayahuasca is the ayahuasca vine. And then in, in uh, yaje, so in Colombia, it would be chagrapongo is the leaf. And the leaf contains a lot of DMT and the vine is a MAOI, which allows the DMT to be digested without being destroyed. And then the same thing in pretty much all the other countries, except instead of Chagrapongo, they use a different leaf, which is called Chacruna. And it's just another leaf that's really high in DMT content. There is a really big misconception with ayahuasca which is that people think it is quite simply an orally active DMT, which is actually incorrect because although that is a component of it, the main ingredient of ayahuasca is not the DMT. It is the ayahuasca, which is why it's named ayahuasca. And you can actually drink ayahuasca brewed the same way, but brewed without the leaves. So therefore without the DMT content, and you will have the same experience just without the visions, you'll still get all the feelings, the emotional healing, all of the energetic connection, maybe like feeling um, or encountering spirits and stuff, you just probably won't have like all the strong visuals. Um, As far as how it's made, um, we would go out and we would do a day where we would collect the vine. So for example, just give you an example of how we would do that. this is the very first time we ever did it or the very first time I ever did it. We got to Colombia and probably our second day there, we drink a cup of ayahuasca in the morning. And then as soon as we drink our ayahuasca, we set off on a walk and we've all got a machete and you've all got your knee high rubber boots and you're just trekking through the jungle and we're following tight to Bernardo and we're gonna go find a vine, which in the jungle, he knows where all of them are in his area. He knows the age of each one. He harvests them when they're seven years old and he lets them grow back before he reharvests them again. He cuts the vine above the ground, so therefore the roots are still there and it can regrow. 
And uh, we find the plant that we're going to take, we find the vine and we all pray. We all light a cigar and we use the tobacco to pray and bless the plant and to ask it for permission. And then um, once we have all completed the prayer, then uh, we selected this guy, Julian, who was with us, who was a smaller guy, 130 pounds. Like, all right, well, you're gonna climb the tree and go chop the ayahuasca out of the, uh, out of the branches. And so he's down, he wants to do it. He actually volunteered. So he gets up there and, you know, he's standing in a tree, like hanging off of a branch, like swinging a machete with his other hand, trying to chop off the vine to release the upper part so that the whole thing can fall down. And he, he steps on a branch that was a little bit dead and the branch collapses and he falls out of the tree from like 30 feet up. And he fell like, of course, he drops his machete. So I'm like standing there looking up and there's a machete falling and then there's him falling. And I'm like trying to almost catch him. And he fell kind of on his feet and like, of course, just collapsed down to his butt immediately and kind of messed up his ankle a little bit. Luckily, he was OK, um, but he was hobbling around for the next few weeks. And uh yeah, so I mean, that's a typical, like, that's one example of like the way we collect the vine. And there's not really a lot of other ways to do it. I mean, I saw different times where one of Titus' sons was collecting the vine and it was like a really big tree, like a 200 foot tall tree. I don't know, maybe less than that, but it was a giant tree. And so he had a rope tied around his waist and he would like secure it to a branch and then climb a little higher and then like move the rope. And so like a little safety net, but you know, it's still like pretty dangerous. And in the tradition, you're drinking ayahuasca when you harvest the vine, that's the way it goes. Cause you're connected with, to it. With, with the DMT in there or this is without the DMT? Um, no, typically with the DMT. Yeah, the normal, the normal brew. Okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> so there's day one, you got your vine. Okay, so you know, once it's down out of the tree, you chop it up into maybe four to six foot sections and you carry it back and you maybe use horses to load some of it on horses and everyone will carry a big bundle. And sometimes you're trekking a couple miles with this on your back. So through like pretty rough jungle, like stepping in mud that goes all the way down to your knee sometimes, like your foot will sink up to your knee and you're like trying not to fall over, trying to pull your foot out of the mud and, you know, just journeys like this every day. So. Uh, super adventures um, and then you get it back and you just kind of like now the vine's there now we're going to do the leaves the next day and we're going to go out and we're going to find some bushes and there's some that grow naturally and there's some that he's kind of planted in certain areas so that we can collect those leaves and you basically have these giant bushes and they have these long main branches with like smaller branches coming off of them and you just grab at the base of a branch and pull and just pull all the leaves off and you would do this until you have, you know, like equal parts, excuse me, equal parts vine and leaf. So if you've got like 100 kilograms of vine, you're going to collect 100 kilograms of leaves, which I'm sure you can imagine, like leaves are pretty fluffy and light. So you really stuff these bags and pack them into these bags. And uh, it takes a lot of time, but eventually we get it. And then probably the next day after that, we're going to be preparing the ayahuasca. So the first thing we do is we use usually like a triangle file and we scrape the ayahuasca to scrape off all of the bark. So all of that ayahuasca, those like, you know, piles and piles of vine pieces that we have, we're going to debark all of those. 
And then after that, we're going to use machetes and chop the vines into like small, you know, pieces, little chunks. Um, and then that's just so it has more surface area for the water to get in and really extract the, the medicines out of it. And then after that comes the time where we actually cook the medicine. And this is a, usually a three to five day process where we're drinking ayahuasca and cooking medicine every night. And he has these two, like, I want to show you with my arms width, but I can't, but they're probably like four to five foot diameter giant bowls that I would say hold maybe 50 gallons each. They're probably like 50 gallon bowls or a hundred gallon bowls. Um, and he fills these up with the plants and then he fills them up with water and you get a giant fire going. And there's two of them next to each other and you're just like stoking this fire for five days and every night drinking ayahuasca. And basically when you're drinking the ayahuasca, you're praying, you're singing, you're dancing and you're just putting energy into the plants while they're cooking. And, you know, we would probably go through at least one good sized tree to fuel the fires for, for one batch of ayahuasca. But again, it's like he cooks abnormally large brews compared to other shamans because he's, as part of his job is to help supply medicine to people who can't cook it. Um, and so, yeah, it's quite a process, but when it's all said and done, you know, it's cooked down and condensed and then the liquid is taken out and then you put more water and you cook that down. And then you take that water out and you put one more time. So it's like making tea with the same leaves. You pour out the water, you add more water. And then once you do that, then you condense it and condense it and condense it until it goes from this normal like tea-like substance down to this thick paste that's like, I don't know, way thicker than honey for sure. And then people consume this. And generally it's consumed in ceremony with like um, someone like with people singing Icaros to help guide on the mm -hmm. journey. Am I correct? And maybe you could just go into that. Like what does a ceremony look mm -hmm. like and what people can expect from a ceremony? Yeah, definitely. Um, normally things are done in a ceremonial setting for a variety of reasons. It's a container for the experience. Um, it provides like a safe energetic container as well because it's done in a prayer so the idea being that you're inviting in good things and you're asking like darkness or evil to stay away it's not welcome here um and so yeah so usually it would be maybe there's kind of an opening prayer and then there's always an activation of the medicine which is like a moment where the facilitator or the shaman will pray and put energy into the medicine and it's like saying like this is what we're here for it's kind of like putting your intention into you know maybe if you put intention into your water before you drink your water or something like that um it's essentially the same thing and then after that people would drink their medicine and typically the beginning is a little bit like just sit with yourself and then usually once the medicine starts kicking in that would be when the songs and stuff were happening and um the way that Taito Bernardo does it is different. Um, Icaros are something that's from Peru in particular. And there's, you know, there's all these different traditions though, everywhere, uh, Brazil, I sat with them in Brazil recently for the first time They have their own set of traditions. Um, but yeah, there's some sort of way to move the energy is the goal of it. So Taito Bernardo does song and dance and he will just like, 
dance for hours and he's got these shakers on that are made of tons of seeds and they shake and they make like a really strong vibration and he'll just be singing and playing his harmonica and dancing for hours and he'll just be dripping sweat and just singing and dancing and it's like he's a very intense man though he's like you know like when he would work i was 220 pounds when i got to columbia and when he would work by my side he's 160 pounds and he would carry the same log as me and i was like straining to carry that thing you know so he's just a very intense guy and uh i think that his way of practicing medicine maybe reflects that um but there's other ways where like ikaros from peru are typically like very soft and very gentle and usually no instruments it's usually just a very specific way of singing and uh the term that's coming to mind is spiritual technology it's like it's something that's been honed over thousands of years that they understand how to work with these things and um yeah so there's a lot of different ways to move the energy but in the end i think that's all it is mm-hmm. and then it's i guess like this is a hard question but like what how does the medicine work on the individual and what does it do and it does it something different for everyone maybe um, but yeah, like what does that, yeah, how, how would you, how would you explain that to someone that is not familiar with this? It definitely does something different for everyone. I think there's commonalities, but it's like, in the end, it gives you what you need. Like, like, let's say we're going to drink medicine right now. Like it's going to give you what you need and what you're ready for right here and right now. And that could be something totally different than tomorrow because you know, whatever's present in you today in each moment is going to be always changing. And so the medicine is always going to be changing. And it's like, there's definitely a lot of variables, you know, you go into it in a good mood, that's going to stimulate a certain type of experience. If you go into it in a bad mood, you're more likely to have um, an experience where you're working with some of that heavier energy, which, you know, is probably going to be harder, but sometimes that's necessary too. Um, I'm forgetting where I was going with this. <laughs> You're just talking about what people can expect, and like, so what are the commonalities? Um, what are the commonalities amongst people's experiences? For sure. Um, so definitely a lot of emotional release. Um, you're gonna most likely experience some of your trauma from childhood in a way where you can see it for, in a different light, or like maybe process it more. Um, pretty common to have visions. However, people fixate on that a lot. And it's not like, it's not the same for everyone. You know, use myself as an example. I didn't have like any visions in any of my ceremonies until probably like my 12th ayahuasca ceremony. And then, um, even then, like, I don't always have a lot of visions, sometimes more, sometimes less, but maybe less than the average person i think it's just different for every single person you don't necessarily need like visions to get the message i feel is like part of what it is mm-hmm. and so wh- how you describe a vision like you you visually see something in front of you that is like not really there or you like imagine something vividly what does that look like for you the visions yeah i feel like it can be both because there's times where you'll have visions where it's like it's the realest thing you've ever experienced like you can feel it you can taste it you can smell it it's like you're there and 
you know, and that could be something very abstract. Like it could be an abstract vision, like something that wouldn't make sense, yet you can feel it and understand it as very real and something that's like, you know, it's just as real as like the sandwich on your plate at lunch. It's just different. Um, mm -hmm. Or there could be stuff where you could have visions that are very like cartoony and like nonsensical or chaotic. Um, or you could have visions where it's just like geometry and beauty. Um, and sometimes you feel like some kind of energy or an activation from these things. And sometimes you just have visions. And uh, the thing is, is the visions have a place, but also sometimes the visions are just the projection of your own mind. Like the visions are not always like a very important sacred message. Sometimes the visions are just like a thought, like it's something to just observe yeah i think like what is important from what i've learned and from what i've hear from you is like the feelings like it's like what is what is the feel like what is the feeling behind whatever you're experiencing and for sure sit with those feelings and see where they from and why they're there yeah I'm, I'm glad you were getting that from that because i do feel that very strongly i feel like it's much more about what energy and what feeling and what like what message are you getting here and mm -hmm. if if you take like visions or a lot of these things too literally which is a thing that happens there is plenty of people like the medicine plant medicine psychedelics whatever you want to call it it can help you and help you to check your ego or if you let it it can be something that can crazy, like really over inflate your ego in a really unhealthy way. And I think in the end, it's like, <clears throat> people are gonna do what they're gonna do. And this is just giving you an experience and how you wanna interpret it is up to you. You know, do I wanna use this experience to like empower myself in a healthy way? Or do I wanna use this experience to be able to walk around and say like, you know, oh, I'm better than you, or oh, I'm, I'm more God than you, or you know what I mean? like as if that's possible <laughs> yeah. but i've seen these things oh for sure i'm sure so what about the element of people like not addicted to the medicine but are just constantly constantly sitting in ceremony um seeking 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 without embodying all the lessons that they've that they're being shown you know i think like that's and not just with ayahuasca, that's with any yeah. medicine. It's, it's, um, yeah, let's talk about that. For sure, man. Uh, that's definitely a thing. I know, because I did it for a while. <laughs> um, I mean, you said the word right there, embodied. Like, the whole point of any of this is to be able to become something new, better, improved. And if you like the, the way I the way I describe it is in order to be able to do that, you have to let everything settle so that you can really like feel into this new space that you're in. And a lot of people are like walking around with a snow globe and they're like taking ayahuasca, like shaking up the snow globe. And then you're like looking at it and you're like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to get. And then before all the little pieces of snow even settle, you're like, I need more. And you're like, I need more healing or I need more, you know, more revelations or whatever. And you never actually do anything with what you learn. It's like, you know, like 
what's the point in reading 20 books a day if you just like it's in one ear and out the other and yeah. definitely i feel like a lot of people do that with the medicines yeah and the doing i feel is not even a doing it's like a becoming it's like an embodiment it's uh mm -hmm. yeah right that's what that's what i that's what i feel um there's, there's there's really nothing to do other than just to be to embody that what you know that you've seen that you've been taught um that you've always known that you you've been helped to remember with the plant medicine mm -hmm. um so ayahuasca is not only your um is not the end of your journeys you um have a company now um spirit visions market where hate is um the medicine that you share so let's talk about how that came into the journey sure man um hape is a really beautiful tool uh it's very grounding it's good for getting into a meditative state uh, i describe it to a lot of people as like a shortcut uh to a meditative state which like a lot of these tools is not something to be reliant on but it can be a good tool to use when it serves you and when you feel like you need a boost or you know like maybe you get a lot of anxiety and your mind is just going i tell people this a lot and people don't believe it and then they do it and they're like wow like if you have anxiety and your mind is racing and you take hop hey, it's like your mind is just like boop, it just shuts off for like five minutes and it's like oh i can breathe okay like gives you a minute to to recalibrate and recenter a little bit um so it's definitely a powerful tool for a lot of different things and all the different blends that are made with um different ashes so basically hape the hape i carry is only two ingredients um and i have a bunch of different kinds but it basically it's two ingredients and one of them is uh a form of fermented rope mopacho tobacco which is like very strong tobacco it's different than what we have and what people perceive as tobacco it's a different uh like relative of tobacco and then the ash of a certain plant so maybe urema preta which is mimosa hostilis um it would be the ash of that plant it's not the plant itself and the ash causes like a catalyzing reaction inside the with the tobacco and it like activates it and the alkaloids from the ash and the alkaloids and the tobacco they work together and it gives you this really strong experience that would not happen if you took one or the other similar to the ayahuasca like take one and it might do something and take the other and it'll do something but if you take them together it does something different and something stronger mm -hmm. so what led you to hape and then how and what led you to like in the first place when did you first get exposed to it and then what led you to creating this business yeah so uh the the very first ayahuasca ceremony I ever sat in was in Ecuador and that was like my graduation gift to myself when I finished gunsmithing school and they had hape at one of those ceremonies and so that was my very first experience with it and then whenever I first started working with plant medicines in Texas um Maria the woman who I was uh learning from and who she was facilitating the ceremonies she would call i would call her the hape queen she loves hape she serves a lot of hape she's very much uh all about like pushing people to their limits and getting people to their edge so that they can like see what's there or see what's over the edge and so she would serve very big doses of hape and she would 
blow it very hard. And she was like a little five foot tall woman, but like blew the hape like a, you know, like the mountain from Game of Thrones or something. Like super strong, felt like your brain was getting pushed into the back of your skull. Um, but nonetheless, like the point I'm getting at is that's where I started to encounter some of the benefits of it. That's where I started first realizing this is something you can work with on your own. This is something that has benefits that can be used as an advantage or even in ceremonies, it can be used as an extra tool. Like let's say you're having an experience in an ayahuasca ceremony and you like, you're getting too much in your head or you're um, feeling ungrounded or, or you're just feeling an energy that you like can't deal with in the moment, you can receive hape and a lot of the time it will help to shift it to something else. Mm-hmm. So at the hape, it lasts for like five minutes. Is that like how, like that's like the, how it works and you, you take it in through your nose? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, I have a pipe right here. Hold on. So this would be like a more intricate crudipe, which is a type of a pipe. And normally you would put a little bit of hape in your hand. You know, uh, you work with it and you get to learn how much like works for you. But normally, like I would recommend to someone starting out just a pea sized amount and you're going to scoop half of that into your pipe. And then you're just going to put your intention or your energy or your prayer, whatever you're looking for in this moment. If you're looking for an answer to a question, whatever that might be into the pipe, split it in half. Like I said, put it in the pipe and then you're just going to blow it in this side and it's going to go out the other side into your nose and then you're going to do the other side and it can be pretty intense for people their first times but um that's why i just always encourage people like maria like to blow people's heads off and a lot of the time that would scare people away from ever trying it again so i am a more gentle person and i'm like start as small as you want if you don't feel it you can always go more but better to like work your way up and find your sweet spot rather than, you know, put yourself off from something that could be good for you. And instantaneously, you feel like instantaneously? Pretty much, yeah. Um, You know, that first 30 seconds to a minute, maybe, you're going to just really be fixated on the sensation in your nose because it kind of stings a little bit and it's just kind of can be intense. But then after that, you start noticing the feelings in the body. Maybe you're feeling a lot of energy. Maybe your body starts vibrating. Maybe you feel like your chakras align or like your crown chakra open. Um, That's one that happens for me a lot is you just feel your crown open and it's like you can just receive clarity. Mm -hmm. And how often like should one use um, hafe? Um. Definitely, it's something to use with care. I mean, it it is tobacco. It does have tobacco in it. So if you're very addictive to tobacco, it could be a problem. But I've also known lots of people that it helped them stop smoking or stop chewing tobacco. So it's all in how you use it, I feel, you know, just having intention. Um, Typically, I would recommend people to not use it more than twice a day and Ideally, if you are using it with a lot of regularity, if you do like, let's say 10 days on where you're using it every day, then take at least three days off. And it's like, 
that three days off it's like a time of fasting it's a time to like remember it and have reverence and also a way of just showing respect because uh you know because we're habit forming creatures yeah so we're talking about your relationship with fear through this whole process and I don't know, like that's like a, a big question that I could relate to a lot of a lot of stoppages on this journey. Um, fear, fear would have been present for you, um, even like your whole life. But in your wrestling days, going up from the top athletes, there must have been a lot of fear there. There must mm -hmm. have been fear in quitting your job as a gunsmith, the thing that you went for school for and dedicated yourself for two years, and just quitting on the spot um the fear to go to the amazon the fear to just keep on pulling mm -hmm. and unraveling that thread the fear to come back to the united states the fear to start your own business um how have you fear fear is a uh, is a funny thing um obviously it's something we all deal with a lot and it's the number one thing it's probably the only thing that in the end that is really holding any of us back is fear but um i say it's a funny thing because i'm very aware of a lot of my fears and i feel like i'm still working through a lot of those like i actually just uh hired a coach that specializes in um trauma recovery from a specific set of life experiences that i have uh encountered in my life and a lot of it is just coming down to like facing certain fears that i have had resistance towards or i maybe you know along the journey for a time maybe didn't want to admit to myself were what they were or whatever but it's like with other things you know like with moving to colombia there was like very little fear i got a strong message and i knew it was what i needed to do and i was just like ready to do it or definitely with martial arts and wrestling that's one for sure i'll feel fear and when you're when you're competing uh i think that's very very normal because there's a a tangible something that you're risking with every single time you step onto the mat or into the gym to roll or to train and so that's there but um with other things i don't find it so much and i think everyone's the same i think everyone's fears are different and that's just that's our journey is to find how we can how we can face those and deal with those and overcome those so that we aren't held back from living a really awesome life another thing that holds us back is resistance and that's that negative force in the world that keeps yeah. us from pursuing and fulfilling our dreams how do you deal with the resistance and what is your advice for a fellow human listening to this call mm -hmm. that is feeling that resistance they're feeling that call to go to columbia or to quit their job or to xyz but their mind is telling them that like no like this is this is the path this is where what i sh you should be doing um kind of like a surrogate um and the true calling is that heart that feeling in the heart um but they're stuck they're stuck at that crossroads of should and must and they're paralyzed and yeah man that's uh that's a good question um how to deal with the resistance you know it's i think 
again, something all of us have every single day, it's going to show up in some way. I still feel all kinds of resistance all the time. It's always there, whether it's for a bigger thing or sometimes it's just for like smaller things that just need to be done. Um, it shows up. And I really think that one of the best ways for me personally that I can deal with resistance is just to like probably write about it and specifically intentionally look at what it is that is going on. Like, what is it that I'm resisting to like really look at that? It's like, put it under the microscope and see like, what is this? Why am I resisting it? What needs to be done? What's on the other side of it? And I think by looking at those things, it's like, like the same ideas with fear just by looking at our fears we can kind of if not dissolve them at least loosen their grip a little bit thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. um another thing that has come up a lot in this conversation um is love what does love mean to you what have you learned about love these last five years Love yourself, man. (laughs) Uh, That's a journey for sure. Love is the biggest journey of all. And that's still very present. Like, I feel like I've got, I've definitely come a long way. I was going to say, I feel like I've got a long way to go, but let me start with that. I've come a long way for sure. Um, It's just a journey, man. I feel like all we can do is try to be authentic and be true and try to have love in your heart. But again, I think it all comes back to the self because I've really experienced a lot of this in the in the in the last handful of years, a lot of it in the spiritual communities. Um, a lot it's like there's a lot of people trying to trying to be a Buddha before they even know how to just be decent. You know what I mean? It's like one thing at a time, you don't have to do it all. Just start with taking care of yourself, man. I really feel like if people just focus on doing what's right for them and being authentic and not letting society or people or your family control your your choices, I feel like that's really the beginning of it all. Because if you just do what's good for you, then you're going to feel better and you're going to feel love in your heart. And now I feel love in my heart. So now I can actually like share that. And if you don't have some love in your heart, I don't feel like you can really share it because you know, you can't, as the saying goes, you can't pour from an empty cup or a version that I liked that I heard more recently is you can't jumpstart somebody when your battery is already dead. Mm-hmm. Words of wisdom. Another thing that I like to talk about is the concept of abundance. Um, You left, you left your job, you sold all your things. um, You went to the, to the Amazon. Um, How did, how did you make this work financially? And then how did you were able to start a business? You just bought property in Texas. How did, how did you, how did you manifest this purse of inner wealth and also external wealth because in the realm we live, we need money. Mm-hmm. For sure. Manifestation is one of those things that, man, like for the longest time when people would say that word, I was like, like, whatever, man, just like get out of here with that stuff. 
but the the more I travel my own life, my own journey, it's like it is so real. Manifestation is super real. Um, and I do feel like I've been very blessed and I'm able to manifest a lot of the things that I want to and that I desire. And honestly, like the the little bits and pieces of how it all works and how to do it more efficiently, I'm still figuring out. But I do feel like a big aspect of it is just trusting and like understanding that what you need is out there. And if you just like trust for it to come and it will show up, then it will. And that's how I felt when I left Columbia or when I went to Columbia, it's like I saved up some money. I knew I had some money, but I knew that like, I had no clue what the expenses were like in Columbia, like going there with what maybe $1,500 to my name and planning to stay for three months and end up staying for five. And, you know, what did I do? I, I put it out there to people where I was at when I really needed money. I just let people know and ask for a little help. And it seems like, you know, if you're, if you're really doing something, if you're really dedicated towards something, then people are going to be there for you because people can feel that. And, you know, I need a little help. Can you spare a few bucks? And then, yeah, people donated. And then all that money got stolen and then more money showed up. So it's like, it just works out, man. I think trust is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's like a key ingredient in manifestation is trust. What is also important in the process of manifestation? Definitely where you're putting your head, where you're putting your mind, like what kind of, uh, what kind of things are you letting go through your mind a lot? Um, you know, if you want to manifest a physical object, then it's not like just thinking about it all the time, but like putting it out there too, finding a way to put some intention out there that you are ready for this to come to you, or you're ready to receive this. And I think there's a million different ways you could do that. You could do it with like a little prayer. You could do it with like a little magic ceremony you could do it with like you know using the full moon and that extra energy to give you a little push in the right direction um but i think a lot of it comes down to intentionality and like what do i want and i'm just going to ask for that like specifically instead of just i don't know like wishing you had something and kind of letting it always be in the back of your head mm -hmm embodying the feeling that it is already here yeah for sure yeah dude such a good example whenever i embody the feeling of gratitude man it's like it is there you know and that's that's actually one of the uh the things that i feel is like almost the bigger piece of the puzzle is like you know i can manifest physical abundance and wealth and i always have been able to do that for whatever reason like it's just weird how easy that is but then like for me more of the work goes into like what kind of feelings do i want to have what kind of like reality do i want to experience on the day-to-day -day? that's mm -hmm. where i can put in like more of that intentional energy to really manifest that stuff mm -hmm. amazing yeah. mm -hmm. so so many, so many, so many nuggets shared, um, <laughs> so much truth. Uh, a lot of this has been inspired. It's been inspired by the plants. It's been inspired by others, various helpers, various mentors on the way. 
Let's take a moment to acknowledge some of these helpers. Who were some of your primary helpers and mentors on this path? Um, I'm sure there's many, but let's just, let's just name a few. And what were the key takeaways you've learned from these individuals um, or these teachers that you've applied, you've applied into your being today? Man, <clears throat> that's something that I could reflect on for a lot of time, but tied to Bernardo, who was my teacher in Colombia, you know, just for how he was willing to welcome someone into his home to live as a part of his family and to take me under his wing and show me so many things. Um, and as, as challenging as that time was and as challenging as I'm sure I was, he was very humble and always with a big smile and always laughing and uh, just always loving and just such a good dude and uh, eternally grateful to him. I'm actually leaving to Columbia on the 13th coming up. I'm going to visit him. I haven't seen him for a couple of years. So I'm excited to see him. Um, Juan and Maria, who were the, the facilitators that I sat with a lot in, uh, uh, in Texas. And even though the way that whole scenario turned out, like really rough and like a really sour bitter ending you know uh they still played a really big part in my path and i learned a lot from them um both things that i can aspire towards and also things to move the other direction from because they're not in alignment for me but in the end it's like you know i was thinking about this the other day it's like it's easy to focus on the problems like when a relationship goes south but no one's all bad right like everyone's got some good traits and everyone's got something you can take that'll help you and so focusing on that um dude like it's funny because i wouldn't i wouldn't think of this this way but at the same time i mean my parents like i'm just thinking of the people that have had such an impact on me and as challenging as family dynamics can be and you know like seeing the the generational traumas and stuff seeing all the stuff that like that my dad has because his dad had it because his dad was left in a home when he was three years old for three years with no one visiting him because he had tuberculosis and like to see how that must have fucked him up and how those things just get passed on and how like the mirror you know what i mean just the mirror that they offer so you can understand yourself better and yeah. um, and getting the chance to to work on those things because uh it's just going to keep going until someone deals with it so yeah thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. um there's a few questions that i all ask all guests and it's that time now and the first one's a big one um they're all they're all pretty Pretty meaningful questions. And this one here, um, through it all, through all the highs and lows that is this life journey, what has been the number one greatest life lesson that you've learned on your path thus far that you feel called in this moment to share? Man, 
deal with our shit. Just find a way to deal with it because it's going to be there if you don't. And it's just going to keep nagging and dragging and hurting. And so, you know, like, don't put it off. Deal with it. Find mm-hmm. a way as best as you can. Mm-hmm. And is there an ever an end to that? I don't really feel like there is. I was talking about this yesterday. It's like, it's definitely a journey and you definitely get better and you can get closer to completion, but you're never complete. <laughs> I feel like it's a never ending path for sure. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it just keeps getting better as you go. So it's all good. Mm-hmm. In three words, how would you describe the experience you're having on this earth? So it doesn't have to be like a phrase, just three words. And you can elaborate on the words if you, if you wish on Three words. Describe your experience you're having in this reality. Yeah. Wild. Adventurous. <laughs> scary. <laughs> <laughs> Wild, adventurous, and scary. Ooh, an interesting <laughs> one. We played a lot, a lot with time. We revisited the past. We delighted in the present. And right now, we're going to take a trip the future um we're gonna fast forward us into a time far from now but it always is just now and we're alongside and we're with, with an 85 year old nate willard who is that 85 year old man where are you who are you surrounded by what is the predominant feeling in your being and what is the legacy that you've left here in your time 85 year old nate willard Man, he is a happy, silly dude. <laughs> He's always smiling, always making everyone feel lighter and and have some extra hope in their day, some positive outlook, surrounded by just family and friends. I, uh, I'm confident that that will be part of the reality, just family and friends and loved ones just you know, all those amazing connections are always all around. Um, and the message I'm, the legacy that I leave is just authenticity and just being real and being who you are. And but that mm-hmm. really is all you need. And that's the most fulfilling thing that any of us could ever have. Mm-hmm. And the predominant feeling in your being? Joy. Mm-hmm. So I want you to stay with that that joy feeling, and I want you to stay in that embodiment of that eighty-five year old Nate Willard for just a moment. I want you to really feel into his presence as you, in you, with you, and then bring it back to the present moment, this infinite now. And that eighty-five year old Nate Willard, he whispers you a message in your ear. What does he say? gonna be okay (laughs) (laughs) gonna be okay it is it is it is (laughs) yes well thank you so much nate it's been so great reconnecting and catching up for people wanting mm -hmm. for people wanting to connect with you they can find you on instagram at nate.184 that's your personal account or at spirit visions market um and your website 
www.spiritvisions.us. Absolutely. You can message me through any of those if you want to connect. And uh, I love working for myself. I'm pretty available. You know, I love uh, providing the customer service. And that's one of the joys of my daily life is just being able to be there for people and make people smile and make people feel cared for. So mm -hmm. I'm always around. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Every conversation we bring our fist in together for a fist bump, a fist bump in solidarity. Mm -hmm. A yes to the winner's circle. To the winner's circle, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And Peace. Close. Peace. And let's uh, close on today. Oh, peace, peace, peace.